The Orthodox Union presents the Jewish Reaction, Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Eastern on the Nachum Siegel Network. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for listening to uh, the just-concluded JM in the AM. And welcome to the Jewish Reaction. No, I'm not Ellie Hagler. I know that. I hear you saying, hey, he's not Ellie Hagler. You're right, I'm not Ellie Hagler. He's off today. My name is Mayor Fertig, and uh, thank you very much for tuning in. I'm the Chief Communications Officer of the OU, and uh, occasionally pop up on the Nachum Siegel Network, so we might have met before. Uh, we have a number of interesting guests today as we bring you uh, this edition of the Jewish Reaction. And uh, we'll start um, with somebody who uh, had a very interesting Pesach. His name is Eli Leibowitz. He's a communications associate at the Orthodox Union, and uh, we work closely together. But uh, Eli's uh, most fun job probably is his avocation, the stuff he does on the side. Eli is also uh, developing a career as a stand-up comedian. Eli, welcome back to the Jewish Reaction. Thank you for having me again. It's uh, it's a pleasure. Um, I I've, I know a lot of different people had a had <clears throat> unusual uh, an unusual holiday in different ways. In fact, I somebody somebody was telling me today that because of a medical emergency, uh, which is thank God uh, ironing out, they had to make Pesach in three hours. So I could just imagine what that was like. You had something that was a little bit more under control, um, but you spent a lot of time this Yom Tov on stage, didn't you? Yeah, I actually I, I so I was in Florida for the first days, but. Then for three days of Cholmoid, I flew from I performed stand-up comedy for a Pesach program in Florida. Mm-hmm. Then I flew to Niagara Falls, and then I did another show in the Catskills Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of Cholmoid. That's uh, quite a bit of travel in uh, in a couple of days. I felt like George Clooney up in the air. I don't know. <laughs> what is a Pesach program audience like? Any hecklers? I no, but there are a lot of kids in the front row, which not that like I do clean material, but sometimes kids are don't have the palate of a sense of humor yet, right. uh, so it's a little difficult when, with them being there. But most of the audience is very receptive, and you know they want to be. And I mean, Jews are tough because Jews sometimes are, are the only people who come to a comedy show not to laugh. <laughs> they kind of just in the front row with their arms crossed. And I, like I know it says on the schedule to laugh, but I'm going to see what I'm going to do. I dare you to entertain me. Honestly, yeah. So I'm I'm my my audience already is very very niche. It's like. My perfect crowd, I think, are people that are, like, firm enough to get my jokes, but mm-hmm. laid back enough to laugh at them. So about 12 <laughs> people in the world. Uh, so, but yeah, so the first one crowd was, you know, one one audience was, a couple audiences were modern Orthodox. One of them was more yeshivish. Mm-hmm. But either way, my jokes are, you know, about davening, about, you know, Pesach stuff, uh, I said, you know, Pesach is an important time because it marks the only point in history when a b- group of Jews left somewhere on time. and uh, <laughs> No long goodbyes? Uh, yeah. Well, also, these Pesach programs have, like, these lavish tea rooms, right. which I don't know if you've seen, but they're, they're like, decadent. And I said, Akash Vavish didn't even have a tea room. Like, it was it's astounding that we incorporate food into anything. I said, you knew God was serious. when he, uh, You knew God wanted us to come to Israel because he said there's food there. And <laughs> it's the land of milk and honey. Yeah, but I would. But I'm surprised he said fruits and vegetables. I would have said you know shawarma and marzipan. If that's uh, a good point. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. So, uh, so looking looking back on the uh, the text of the Torah, how would you how would you explain that? I would have said uh, God was like, all right, let's see. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Let's, let's see. Let's see if you really want to come here. But I, I knew I knew the Miragli more in serious about it because they brought back fruit. Right. And they're and again, I would have brought back some marzipan if if I really wanted people to come to Israel. Um, that hopefully won't get me get me killed. Um, no, I, the truth is I do make a lot of jokes about Tanakh. That right. I 
you know, it's a habit, a hobby of mine and a habit to go on, you know, to go through the Parsha and try to think of a joke. I said, you know, Parsha's Noach, I said, in the whole Parsha's Noach, the crazy story about a 600-year-old man builds a boat and is stuck on this boat with his whole family and all these animals. Mm-hmm. The most unbelievable part to me is that it took him a whole year to start drinking. <laughs> and, or, you know, or when, you know, Yaakov and Asa, Yaakov, uh, Yaakov is fighting with the angel and the angel says, what's your name? And he says, Yaakov. And the angel says, no, it's Israel. And you think Yaakov maybe said, Okay, but I'm still going to have to go by Yaakov at the bank in the doctor's office. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I just think there are a lot of, you know, uh, moments in Tanakh that we can we can laugh about. That mind for humor. But yeah, behind the scenes stuff of like, you know, when Yaakov found out that like, you know, he married Leah instead of Rachel. Do you think he like said like Newman? What right. did love on like, <laughs> you know? That's a Seinfeld joke for anybody who didn't get that. <laughs> I hope so. I hope they would. We'll see. Right. Well, you said you have an audience of uh, a sweet spot audience of about twelve people. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, the people that are willing to laugh. Right. People that are willing that are that are learned enough to get my jokes because there's certain like demographic. Well, you have to have this much Jewish knowledge to right. know these things, but also be okay with maybe laughing. Like I said, I'm the type of guy who says Kedusha Shavana, but I'm not happy about it. So <laughs> what? No, uh, come on, Kiddush Lamana, when, when you, they announced, you know, on Saturday night when it's like, all right, who wants to go, you're like, after Abdullah, it's like, all right, who wants to go see a movie, get some pizza, and they're like, Kiddush Lamana, <laughs> oh, I'm right. like, it's like the teacher who tries to give you school on the last day. Well, homework. <laughs> homework right. on the, no, but class on the last day of school. Wait, what do you mean you're teaching today? We're done. No, exactly, exactly. Right. And, uh... Yeah, and it's only it's Sphira, it's Omer, by the way, because if, if you're if you got out of, if you're out of Sphira, I apologize, but uh, for, if, if I'm offending you, but it's day nine, should have made it further. But uh, if you're out in right. Sphira and you go to Mar, you know they announce the bracha, bracha Omer, and you have to like say the bracha along. But if you're out, you kind of just have to fake it. So you're just like Omer. That did that work? I don't want to confuse anyone. By the way, you said it. It's it's Thursday for the purpose of this of this webcast. Tuesday. I'm sorry, Tuesday. I did that again. I, I had a problem with that earlier. Tuesday, but of course we're, we're taping this oh, okay. uh, my day apologies. before. <laughs> so uh, just in case anybody is feeling confused, like, oh my gosh, I missed it after all. Um, what's the experience of stand-up like, standing up there on a stage? As you said, an audience that's kind of saying, I dare you to make me laugh. What, what's that like? I mean, it's a little nerve-wracking. People say, like, I mean, well, what do you do if nobody laughs? And thankfully, at this point, I have enough self-esteem, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that I can... I, I've, I've had enough Shabbos tables where I've made people laugh that, you you know what? The, if these ten Jews don't laugh at me, I know that I'm. I've been funny other times. Right. That this isn't going to make or break it. And uh, you know, one of my. I have, I have over fifteen hundred views on YouTube. Right. Only fourteen hundred are my dad trying to figure out how to use YouTube. So, um, <laughs> That's I have. Good. I have enough. But it's a, it's a tough experience because you know there's there's a whole level of like. Make, like make me laugh clown in addition to like when you tell somebody you're clean comedy you're like right. all right they're either not funny or they're not clean you're like all right make me laugh fifth grade rabbi that's this is not right. gonna be. so you know the the challenge is there and i think it, people already have lowered expectations and i right. think if you you know make them laugh they'll just be like all right people always say to me like oh you were actually funny and i'm like why do you always have to say actually right like you were surprised <laughs> couldn't you give me the benefit of the doubt yeah it's uh no they can't <laughs> you're listening to the ou presents the jewish reaction my name is mayor Fertig. i'm sitting in for ellie hagler who is off this week uh, my guest is ellie Leibowitz. he's a communications associate at the orthodox union and is a mm-hmm. professional stand-up comedian and uh spending a couple of minutes talking about uh about uh how how pesach went so uh one of your one of your gigs was uh, rather last minute, wasn't it? 
Yeah, uh, I mean, I was supposed to be performing. I performed at the Upscale Getaways uh, Pesach program in Niagara Falls, and mm-hmm. that that was scheduled for like eight o'clock that night. But I was looking for somewhere to stay, and the Chabad rabbi in Niagara contacted me, and he said, "Hey, do you want to perform?" For we're showing the IMAX movie of the Niagara Falls like thing. Right. And he said, "Do you want to perform for that? For the first ten minutes of the movie are not Sneas. <laughs> and do you want to perform during those ten minutes? Have you ever and been filler before? I don't think I have ever. Not like this. So <laughs> I, he's like, "You want to perform for these ten minutes? So ten minutes, they're not Sneas. And I said, "That sounds terrible. I'm in." <laughs> so you know, they so ten minutes. It was a room of four hundred chassidim, right. and there was ten minutes of they they didn't pause the movie. They just had a blank screen and they muted it. And I'm just standing up there. And also, a lot of these people, their English English is not their first language. Right. So I'm getting up there and be like, you know, what's funny about that guy in Kirshovana, and they're just like, who is this guy? <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, where is the – I never opened for a waterfall. So, But I officially – you know, after I was done, I said, uh, I can now cross off performing for 400 Chassidim in an IMAX theater uh, for, before a Niagara Falls movie uh, off my bucket list because I don't think anyone in the world has ever done <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah, I'm happy thanks. for your achievement. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's uh, definitely – the good thing is any any gig that doesn't go great always just makes it a good story. I think I think God does that on purpose. God makes interesting things happen to you just right. so you have a good story to tell about it. It's kind of like bad date stories. Oh, for sure. Yeah, you definitely I, – I think once someone actually tried to set me up with a girl – I'm from Chicago and I tried to set me up with someone who didn't know what Chicago was – as a concept? As a concept, as a city, as any, as I don't know. So they said, you know, like, would you go out with somebody, uh, you know, would you go out with somebody who is, uh, you know, I was in college, and they said, would you go out with somebody, you know, like, from this? And I'm like, I, I, I guess, but they said, uh, I, I, I ended up saying no anyway, but then they, I, somebody was talking to her, and she ended up saying, oh, I'm going to Chicago. And she's like, oh, where, what's that? And how do you get through, I don't know, one minute of a date without being like, oh, I'm from Chicago? What's that? that? So either I would either start the tape recording in my head of like, oh, this is going to be one for the record books, or just be like, I'm sure you're a lovely person, but I have to go find (laughs) you a map or an atlas or something, because I I can't even... Because I usually get Chicago. It's like, oh, you know, a lot of people from New York are like, oh, I always get confused between those cities in Ohio. Oh, wow. And someone said, oh, that's ridiculous. Chicago's not in Ohio. It's in Michigan. Like, why do you even try anymore? Right. <laughs> Don't bother. Wow. Yeah, I mean, the New York-centric is one thing, but that's really something. Well, I also give my phone number. You know, I, I was giving my phone number to somebody, and I was like, oh, uh, they're like, what's your number? I was like, oh, 773. They're like, 516. It's like, no, 773, and then just like. They were just stumped. They're like, I don't know. <laughs> is off Long Island? Is that even possible? <laughs> Very um, good. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate uh, your spending a couple of minutes with us. Ellie Leibowitz is a communications associate at the OU and a stand-up comedian. How can people get in touch with you if they'd like to book you? Uh, you can email me at Leibowitz at Gmail, L-E-B-O-W-I-C-Z at gmail.com. I spell my name with a C in the end of it because mm-hmm. I say when my grandparents got to Ellis Island, they asked them, they said, are you sure you want to spell it L-E-B-O-W-I-C-Z? And my grandparents were like, yeah, worst case scenario, our grandson doesn't get a bunch of emails. So it's L-E-B-O-W-I-C-Z at Gmail. On Twitter, I'm at, at Ellie Leibowitz, E-L, at 
E-L-I-L-E-B-O-W-I-C-Z. And on Facebook, Ellie Leibowitz, if you believe in the Internet. Uh, you know, I don't know. Then Here again, we are. Then again, I don't know if you're, you're listening to this either otherwise. Anyone who's listening to this de facto believes in the Internet, believe me. Right. Ellie, thank you very much. Thank you. All right. Take care. You're listening to the OU Presents the Jewish Reaction on the Nachum Siegel Network. Ellie Hagler is off. My name is Mayor Furtick. Thank you so much for uh, for continuing your morning with, uh, with uh, the Jewish Reaction. Uh, of course, the Nachum Siegel Network starts its broadcast day with JM the AM at 6, then the Jewish Reaction. Album of the Week coming up after this on uh, on the Nachum Siegel Network, either at NachumSiegel.com or on the NSN app, then Live Lunch with ZK at 11.30, and then the Tuesday Music Mix and much more, so stay tuned. My next guest, meanwhile, is Jake Adler. He is the New York State Policy Director for OU Advocacy, Teach NYS. Uh, Jake, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. Thank you for being here. You are working on all sorts of interesting things on behalf of the Jewish community with your work at OU Advocacy. Um, you had an op-ed in the New York Post this past Friday. Many people might have missed it over Yuntif, but uh, for those who did, uh, fill us in. Tell us what it was about. Sure. Um, for the last few months, we've been working on um, a, piece, a bill called Intro 65 in the New York City Council. It's sponsored by our friend, Councilmember Greenfield Absolutely. from Brooklyn. Mm-hmm who's a extremely vigorous and energetic advocate for all of our our issues. Uh, the bill, what it would do essentially is station a NYPD school safety officer mm-hmm. at every non-public school that requests it. Public schools already have those, right? Correct. Public schools, have, you go into a public school to vote maybe, you mm-hmm. know, once a year, twice a year, and you'll see a light blue uniform greet you at the desk, and they'll say, you know, who are you? Are right. you here to vote? What are you here for? If you go on any other day, they'll stop you immediately at the door and make Same you sign Same experience, in. right. Exactly. Uh, if you go to a yeshiva in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, you rarely get stopped at the door. There might be a guard. There certainly, might not. Right. There may or may not be a guard. It's certainly not an NYPD uniform that's facing you right. when you walk in. So what this bill would do would be it would take the... It would take the um, the determination of who where those get get placed and give them to the principals, and it would not only give it to the principals of the the public schools, it would give them to the non-public schools. So right now, um, NYPD gets to, gets to determine where they're placed, when they're placed, how many of them are placed. This would guarantee every single school in the city gets at least one. Right. Um, and then beyond one, I guess that's a that's a question of how many kids are there of need of need, right? Um, but that would include non-public schools. So all of our yeshivas and day schools, um, K to 12, would be able to get this school safety officer right. at the front desk to, you know, provide a. It's kind of a visible deterrent, and it's you know it's managing who's going in and going out right. of the front door. And this would apply to all private schools, a Catholic, Catholic schools, schools, Muslim schools, right. black independent schools, you name it. Everybody. Okay, so that uh, that seems that seems reasonable. Um, is this going to be an easy sell to the city council? Easy sell in the city council is, uh, is, a, tough, is a tough thing you to gauge. You can't say that. I can say that, right? I can't say that. Yeah. That's true. Um, Baruch Hashem, there's currently 47 members of the 51-member city council that are signed on as co-sponsor of this bill. Really? Uh, Councilmember Greenfield is a very determined worker, and when you know, and this bill is very important to him. It's very important to the community, and um, it's seen a kind of a groundswell of support in the council itself. So. 47 out of 51 seems like it's a shoe, and obviously um, we still need the community to get involved, and we still need to go through hearings on this to make sure that it happens. So it's, it's unlikely, in other words, for it seems, if 47 out of 50 are, are actually signed on, that, that, pe- that 
they're not going to vote against something they're actually sponsoring, right? Has that happened? Well, that's that's the hope. Um, <laughs> honestly, at, at the end of the day, it's going to come down to what the program looks like, how much it's going to cost to roll it out, things right. like that. Because you know, we're going to the budget season for mm-hmm. the city council, for the city at whole as a as a whole. The new fiscal year starts on July first, so right. this would this would obviously have fiscal implications, budgetary implications, and that's going to factor into it as well. The real um, the, our real job right now is to keep the pressure on right. all of those members to make sure they, they continue to support the bill. Mm-hmm. That's one thing to support the bill with your name on it. It's another thing to right. support the bill at the end of the day when you have to vote for it. And when there's money on the line. And when there's money on the line. So that's really where we come in. That's where we're calling on all of our schools and all of our schools to kind of keep the pressure on their local council members. Right. So how does that partnership work? You know, what's that relationship like? How do you, without getting into too much detail or some of it, I guess you, you can't talk about for strategic purposes. I totally understand that. But but how, how does it work in broad strokes so that people understand what's going on? Sure. I mean, well, we're in regular contact with our with our school community and mm-hmm. with our schools, um, email, phone, social media. Right. Um, and in person, obviously. As, as this process continues tomorrow, uh, today, excuse me, today, we're uh, this afternoon at 1 p.m., we're going to have a hearing um, after the hearing, I'm going to be in touch with everyone about our next steps, who they should call, when they should call, mm-hmm. letter writing campaigns. It's you know it's the usual advocacy one-on-one toolbox. You know, letter writing campaign. We'll do what we call an action right. letter. We'll have we'll generate emails directly to their representatives. Um, you know, we're not reinventing the wheel here. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. Um, so this is uh, just one of many issues that you are that you're involved with across New York State. Um, is there anything else that you uh, could as long as we have you here, uh, could fill people in on? Sure. Well, we're obviously continued to be involved in the Education Investment Tax Credit mm-hmm. uh, fight. We were um, disappointed that it wasn't included in this past budget agreement that just right. ha- happened uh, at the end of March. Right. We've moved to the state level now for those who are following we're, along we're now we're scorecards. We're in Albany, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs> um, Welcome to Albany. I spend... Uh, Many days a week during session up in Albany, and then when I'm not in Albany, I'm at City Hall. So right. it's kind of – I transition back and forth, so I apologize if I didn't yeah. make that clear. No, that's fine. Um, obviously, the education investment tax credit was, was a uh, – it continues to be a huge priority for us. Uh, we also have this bill called the Energy Parity Act, mm-hmm. which would um, provide wholesale energy rates for all schools in the state, public, non-public. Really? All non-public schools, it would it – would, Cut out the surcharges, cut out the the retail aspect of the electricity game wow. for these schools, which would save tens of thousands, if not more, for every school district. For every probably. school district and every school, um, and um, you know, every little bit on the bottom that we can save on the bottom line, hopefully, sure. will help the parents. Who do you have to get on board to, to make that happen? Or isn't that the, up to the utilities, or the state regulators can do that? A little bit of both. Honestly, uh, we can we can pass that bill through. I mean, we're, we're hopeful that we're going to get a hearing on that bill and that we're mm-hmm. going to the process will continue on that bill and we'll get more support. Um, currently, it's sponsored by a good friend of ours, Senator Marty Golden in the Senate mm-hmm. and Brooklyn, uh, right. from Brooklyn, of course. And uh, Assemblymember Sean Ryan from Buffalo is the sponsor and the, the chief sponsor in the Assembly. And uh, our good friends, Assemblymember Goldfeder and Assemblymember Kaminsky in uh, more local here are also signed on um, and we're looking to gain more support and and you know there are there are, in the assembly of course there's people who are pro public school anti non public school pro yeshiva anti public school 
this kind of cuts across all those there, lines. There are people who are anti-public school. You would, you know, I it was it surprised me too, Mayor. I'm not asking you for names, obviously, but that seems <sighs> sure. astounding. Yeah, you you wouldn't know. Um, I thought it was a friendly place, but apparently there are. That's pretty interesting. Very interesting. Our guest is Jake Adler. He is the New York State Policy Director for OU Advocacy Teach NYS. Choosing his words very carefully, because that uh, that is. Uh, that is a professional requirement for people who work in the political arena. Uh, anything else you'd like to add? Anything else you'd like to tell us about? Uh, any any secrets that you really shouldn't reveal that you're going to tell our audience for the first time? No, I'm just kidding. I don't want you to do that. <laughs> Jake, thank you very much. I really appreciate I your appreciate time. I appreciate it, Mayor. Thank you. All the best. You're listening to The Jewish Reaction on the Nachum Siegel Network, a presentation of the Orthodox Union every week on uh, on the Nachum Siegel Network. Ellie Hagler is your usual host. He's off today. My name is Mayor Fertig. I'm the Chief Communications Officer of the OU, and it's a pleasure to be here with you. Uh, coming up uh, after the OU presents The Jewish Reaction, Album of the Week on the Nachum Siegel Network. That's at 10 o'clock. Then at 11, Live Lunch with ZK, followed by the Tuesday Music Mix from 1 o'clock on until 7, uh, 7.30, rather, when... Uh, Elliot Weiselberg presents the Court Report Encore um, at 9 o'clock, is 9 at 9 with Yossi Zweig, and uh, all in between, plenty of great Jewish music uh, in our sphere of format on the Nachum Siegel Network. Our next guest on this edition of the OU Presents the Jewish Reaction is a weekly columnist on OU.org. Her name is Aviva Rizel. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist in private practice in Cedarhurst and a certified emotionally focused couples therapist and a... Uh, as well as a uh, supervisor of therapists, in uh, a trainer and a supervisor of therapists in New York and Connecticut. Aviva, welcome to the OU Presents the Jewish Reaction. Thank you so much, Mayor. It's a pleasure to be here, a real honor. It's, uh, it is a pleasure to speak to you again on the radio. It's been quite a few years. Yes. And uh, you, you do a very popular weekly column um, on OU.org. Uh, people can see it uh, on the website. They can see it on the uh, weekly, usually see it on the weekly Shabbat Shalom email that comes out on Thursdays. Uh, you can sign up for that at OU.org. And uh, you cover such an interesting variety of topics um, every week. Uh, obviously, we you know it's beyond the scope of uh, a short conversation that we're able to have now to go through every single column. But they really are a very, very interesting uh, group of topics. Does anything stand out uh, recently that you've written about that really, really uh, um, caught your attention as something you wanted to talk to people about? Um, it's interesting that you asked because even though it covers a vast array, like the the topics are totally different. It could be a different age range of the writer, whoever's writing in and asking. The topics are all very, very different, but my my posture and how to answer them are usually the same. So I actually don't have such a good recollection of each topic, and right. I, I basically do the same thing again and again, and that's what I do as a therapist as well. That's so interesting. Could you characterize that, that, that approach, that stance? How, how would you describe it? Yeah, sure. Basically, if something's going on in a person's life and it's making them kind of reactive to the point where they're seeking help, then we don't just want to deal with the issue at hand because when life gets tough, you see that sometimes in your life you can handle certain things and other times you just kind of can't. So um, the EFT clinician, that's the type of clinician I am, mm-hmm. are under the impression that and the belief that if something's upsetting you, if something's difficult for you to get through, then there's there's something beneath it that we, we need to address. And typically it's an emotional response or I know I'm sounding all psychobabbly. It's very no. abstract, but 
um, when we take an act, let's take an, an actual topic. Mm -hmm. Um, let's see. Yeah. You had a, uh, you had a column called, uh, um, Huffy Hubby. Dear Aviva, I am newly married and very upset with myself. I know marriage is not supposed to be easy. Nobody's perfect. Um, I knew that when I started dating and I, uh, and I promised my, I knew that, he writes, when I started dating and I promised myself I would always love my wife and never get angry. Well, I'm totally failing. She's not at all what I expected. I'm paraphrasing. Sometimes her temper explodes at the tiniest thing. I just want to stay calm. But lately, I'm sorry to say I get very angry. Do you have any tips for me? Right. Okay. So thank you for jogging my memory. I think that was an early one and I appreciate that. So that one, that's a great example because here it's a real life issue. Like that's kind of a problem, right? If mm -hmm. you're we marry to somebody who keeps getting angry and we can't really say like, Hey buddy, there's something going on within you. That's making you react this way. Obviously here we do have to make a little space for the fact that, okay, he's in a tough spot, but what's more important to me is how is he going to handle it? Because this sort of situation is something that could make somebody just go and withdraw and not want to face the problem. Mm -hmm. Um, or it's something that somebody would go in and face it. And then how do you face it? Do you go and you blame the wife or do you go into it as a team? So this is kind of what we call the difference between content and process. The content is what they're talking about. Okay, right. my wife is angry and I don't like it. And the process is, well, how do you go about it? And, and what's your stance and what goes on for you? What's your experience with it? Um, so I basically explore that. And it's a very... It's what the old me would have gotten very frustrated with. The old you? The old professional me, because it was a lot easier just to kind of tell people what to do in therapy and in my advice columns. Um, but now I see that in order for people to really take ownership of their lives and, and make their own decisions and be aware of what goes into their decisions, right. you kind of just have to reflect back what they're doing and how they're doing rather than sit with them in the what's going on. So you're saying you've actually shifted professionally? Oh, totally. I guess everybody grows professionally over time. So what exactly was your was the switch? Well, it's interesting. Um, as you mentioned, I'm an emotionally focused couples therapist. I was one of the first from ones to get um, certified. I'm only one of two on Long Island. The other one isn't even Jewish. And I've grown within the model, and now I, I go and I supervise. I've, I've supervised at trainings with Dr. Sue Johnson, who's the, the co-founder of this model. Mm -hmm. um, and that changed me. And it's just funny because I laugh at myself. Emotionally focused therapy used to make me roll my eyes and snort. I'm like, emotions? Gross. <laughs> Seriously. I'm like, I'm a therapist. I should be comfortable with emotions. But there was something about it that was just so like, I don't know. But then I went to her externship mm -hmm. the that I actually help train at now. And um, everything she said was scientifically based. And there were neuro, there were fMRI studies showing the changes in people's brains when we open up space for emotions and all that warm and fuzzy stuff. And I was like, oh, wow. Like my real, my, before I became a therapist, I really thought I would become a neuropsychologist. Right researcher in that and all of a sudden all this stuff started speaking to me and I'm like you know what I think it's safe to let some emotions in so it's not just the emotions of it EFT talks a lot about it but once I a lot of different things within EFT but once I once I started um, studying that model that just shifted me overall as a therapist as a clinician 
Um, and even as a person, I think my husband's pretty happy. <laughs> right. And your husband's a therapist too, isn't he? I'm sorry, what did you say? Isn't your husband a therapist also? Yeah, he is, and he's gotten into this model as well. He sees couples, and he also deals with trauma and um, active duty military he has training with. So, yeah, so he he he's appreciates my, my shift over as a clinician. He thinks it's great, and as a, as a husband, he's like, okay, you're a much sweeter, softer wife this way. <laughs> I don't mind. Our guest is Aviva Rizal. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist in private practice in Cedarhurst, and uh, she's a certified emotionally focused uh, couples therapist who trains and supervises therapists herself in uh, New York and Connecticut. And perhaps most importantly for the purpose of our conversation, she's a weekly columnist on OU.org. You could read Aviva's uh, advice column every week, dear Aviva. Uh, ask Aviva, rather, excuse me. And uh, Yeah, Mayor, you yeah. thought of that name. You should know that, right? You, you think I would, right? <laughs> Yeah, nothing like alliteration. Yeah. Um, you know, we were talking about uh, different, uh, different, uh, you know, questions that you get asked, and how your um, your responses, are, you know, tend to follow a pattern as you've described. Um, what are some of the um, what, what are some of the uh, the same? You know, are there any sameness? I can't think I would come up with the words. It's easy for me to say. Um, what, what are some of the uh, common threads in the questions that you get asked? Anything about human nature that you've noticed over the years that, uh, or, or is the, the, pa- the pattern of human experience just so different that everybody is different? That's a great question. And I think, I think the answer is yes and no. <laughs> I think that it's basically, it's the same stuff again and again and again, but it comes up in different ways depending on what life stage we're in. Mm-hmm. And I see this throughout as a supervisor. I, I train very different populations. I could be in Bar Park training therapists, or recently I was in Harlem training a group of African American clinicians and no matter where I go, I've mm-hmm. trained people from Tokyo, from Belgium, no matter what culture, no matter what age, no matter what socioeconomic uh, level, there's always something that everyone has a commonality to. It all boils down to the universality of the heart. And by that, I mean the emotional heart, mm-hmm. the emotional experience. And um, sometimes some of us are just not so attuned and in touch with what we're feeling. And it's going to leak out in different ways. If we don't give our emotions a voice, it's going to find its way to have a voice. It's going to get more reactive, or you might start to feel it in your body with psychosomatic symptoms. And um, so basically, the commonality of all these columns is basically, it's the same thing. It's a human being reaching out saying, help, I'm struggling here. And I need some support. I need to know how to get through this. And obviously, I can't solve every answer in every single column. But my common theme is, hey, I'm right here with you, and I don't cast judgment on you, and nobody should because everyone understands that we all do what we do because we have to. And then I try to expand it and try to help them get through it to to stop doing what they're doing and start to expand into a new place to be able to do that. So I hope I'm not being too fluffy with my answers and, and not so concrete here. But in my opinion, it's always the same thing of just somebody reaching out for help. And obviously, the the way that that looks like is different depending mm-hmm. on age, gender, whoever's writing in. Well, I get I get to read I get to read your columns I guess before just about anybody else, me and a yeah. few other people, and I, I do know that a common a common thread in your answer is an empathy that you exhibit and, and an understanding. 
Uh, and I, I think you, you tend to give people, you tend to make sure people know they have permission to feel what they're feeling. That's exactly right. And I'm so happy that that's the message that you get because that's exactly what I'm trying to give over. And I think you said it much more eloquently than I just tried. Well, so. I made up for the last thing. So. <laughs> Thank you. Why, why is that important? The empathy? Yeah. Well, let's go back to the brain for a minute because um, I'm, I'm just a nerd like that. So bear with me for mm-hmm. all these cool people out there. Um, <laughs> basically, human beings are wired to connect. And just like we have a basic need for food, for water, for shelter, we also have an attachment-based need, which means that we're not alone. We have someone with us. And if we don't have this need met, our brain actually goes into fear. And our amygdala, which is the fear center of the brain, gets activated the same way we would get activated if a truck were about to hit us, or if a you know, some emergency was happening. If we were in danger, our brain um, activates in a certain way. And that's exactly the same way that we get activated when we get into a fight with our spouse or when we are struggling with something and we're all alone. So that's one piece. Why is this so important that we care about in all these different situations? The answer is because when that brain is activated in that way, we don't have access to our logic. Our prefrontal cortex doesn't have that blood going. The neurons are not going. So I will not be able to make a good decision with good sound judgment when I'm in fear. And I might not realize that I'm in fear because I might not want to admit to myself that I'm alone here and it's scary. So empathy, in my opinion, is the first step to opening up a person's space to go and do the right thing and go be who they could be and unstuck them from that fear place. It's interesting. Um, it's interesting that this carries over. I'm not so surprising that it carries over to, to mental health because even, even physical health. I know when, years ago when I was uh, taking my EMT training and people have told me over the years, you know, most of, uh, you know, pre, pre-hospital, you know, care, you know, pe- treating people who are suffering, going through an emergency situation, um, is, is psychological. You know, psychological first aid is so important. And, and, and that boils down to having a good bedside matter and, you know, being empathetic and, and, and calming and, and so forth. And I guess that all ties together in a way. Mm-hmm, definitely. May I share an interesting study with Please. you? Please. Okay, great. Um, so one of the things that drew me to EFT was this particular study. Um, they took a woman who was in a distressed marriage. She was not happy with her marriage. Mm-hmm. They put her in an fMRI machine where they could track which regions of the brain were being activated. And they said that when you see the X appear on this screen, we're going to shock you with an electric shock. So this way they got to see what happens to her brain when she's being in pain or in fear. Right. So they got a baseline to see what it is when she's all by herself. Then they brought the husband in and said, hold her hand while she's getting shocked. And guess what? Her brain showed that she was in more fear and more distress when he was around. So that's not so good. Right. And they did EFT with them. They did mm-hmm. like 20 sessions and they got them to a place where they were actually very securely bonded and happy with their marriage and happy with their relationship. Mm-hmm. They put the woman back in the fMRI machine, shocked her with her husband there holding his hand. And guess what? The brain did not even register pain. Wow. Yeah. That's fascinating. I think so. I think this really shows that life is really, really tough. That's how life is. That's what we all didn't mean to sign up for, but we're all here. Mm -hmm. 
if we want life to be a little bit sweeter, we strengthen the connections that we have with our loved ones, and we're not going to register the pain as much. It may still exist. Life is obviously still going to throw its punches at us. Right. But it's not going to hurt as much. So interesting. Very interesting. Our guest is Aviva Rizal, licensed marriage and family therapist in private practice in Cedarhurst and a columnist on OU.org. Um, Aviva, some of the... Uh, a lot of the uh, issues that uh, are um, facing both the, the Orthodox world today and uh, as well as the, the secular world are the the uh, relationships between um, men and women and the roles of men and women in society. Um, obviously, uh, feminism uh, plays a role. Uh, obviously, uh, tradition plays a role. And, he, and these things all interact with each other. Um, somebody recently uh, defined feminism as, uh, you know, it, it insert, to some people it's a, it's a dirty word. And um, to somebody recently, I think it was a uh, somebody in the public eye recently uh, said that she had not grown up as a feminist and that she uh, she became a feminist or decided to identify as a feminist when she realized that all feminism really means is that men and women have equal opportunities. It doesn't mean that they're the same. It just yeah. means that they're given the same opportunities and that uh, somebody uh, doesn't have more or less because of because of their gender. Um, what, what, I love that definition that feminism means equal opportunity. I love that. Uh, I, I did too, actually. It, it, it registered with me quite a bit. I'll tell you who said it too. Uh, Taylor Swift said that. I thought so. I don't follow pop culture much, but I follow her, and I'm like, this sounds familiar. It, it was very interesting. Um, in any event, uh, what's, what's your reaction to that? I loved it. I heard her say that on one of the news shows, and I was like, that's wonderful. And I remember her saying that she actually didn't quite know what feminism was growing up because she's a bit younger than us, and she didn't really need to to find out what that was because I guess the opportunities for her were kind of open. Um, I love it. And I was actually speaking with um, our illustrator for the column, Talia Weinberg, I'm, a very talented. I'm um, glad you mentioned that. I was going to bring that up. Yeah. So we were talking about... Um, the next topic that we're going to be um, writing for the column and what she'll be illustrating about. And we were discussing this, um, this thing that a reader wrote in about the idea of if she, if it's fair for her to have um, a different bank account than her husband. Um, and, you know, he makes most of the money and she doesn't mm -hmm. because, she's home raising kids more so she doesn't have the opportunity as much to 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 um to earn seek the money and she thinks it's kind of fair for her to have her own bank account with her own money that doesn't you know need to i hate to use the word accounted for but that he doesn't need to know about either way and that just belongs to her and um for me i actually i mean i don't like to give my personal opinion over when i write the columns but i'll give it over on air i don't mind giving that away mm -hmm. i actually don't necessarily like that idea because um i think equality equal opportunity is it should be pervasive and if let's say if let's say let's think of the home as a business right right um so you do this task and I do that task. And then we kind of pool our resources and then we have, um, we get to kind of see what's going on there and, and we're equal partners. As soon as somebody says, okay, this is mine and that's not yours, then that kind of takes away some of the partnership and some of the connection. And Talia and I were further speaking that, um, 
well, what do you think this wife's reaction would be if the husband said, okay, if you have your separate bank account, then I'll go and have my separate bank account. And she was saying how she could imagine a wife saying like, no, that's not fair. And in my mind, that's perfectly fair. I don't know what you think about this, Mayor. Well, I was going to I was going to say to you, aren't there couples who, in fact, keep their finances separate, maybe in some cases, separate mar- second marriages or things mm-hmm. like that? But they're, I, I, I'm pretty sure I've encountered couples who have exactly that sort of financial arrangement. You know, you yeah. pay X, Y and Z bills and I pay A, B and C bills and together we make our household work. I mean, everybody's got their own their own husband. That's that's totally fine. And I actually maybe I wasn't um, clear um, if they both agree to it. And mm-hmm. that's arrangement and that's fine. Um, but I encounter this a lot of times with my clients as well, where it's like, that's our money. And then this is just her money. And he, the husband never has any of his money. That's just his, everything his, he makes goes straight to the house. Right. Anything extra is just for her. I think that's wonderful to take care of your wife and, and, you know, make sure you pamper her a bit. But I think that it's a little bit scary what I've been seeing out in the world. I don't know if there's enough room for husbands. I, I don't know. Um, I don't want to say it in a way that makes me sound like a old school feminist. Mm-hmm. I think the equal definition of feminism. Um, but it, I'm, I'm concerned that sometimes when we make so much room for equality for women, sometimes there's just not enough equality for men. That's so interesting. Are you, do you see that in your practice? Or this is just an observation about our society in general? Well, I see it even in the statistics um, from other therapists, like just to go to an extreme example, mm-hmm. um, domestic violence and domestic abuse. Right. If, you hear, if you hear even experts in the field speaking about it, you're going to hear them report the wrong statistic. They're going to say 90% of abusers are men. And that's just simply not true. It's actually 90% of batterers are men mm-hmm. and 50% of abusers are men and 50% of abusers are women. So, so the nonviolent abusers, you're saying, ver- verbal abuse, emotional abuse, is that what you mean? Women know how to throw things. Women know how to pinch. Women know how to hit. Mm-hmm. Women can get violent. The difference between violence and battering mm-hmm. Battering, I believe the definition is where like they're basically beaten so much that their life is in danger. So that's where we see, okay, men are better at violence than women, I guess. Right. <laughs> men, men can, you know, be more effective at violence, but the violent incidents happen across the board and you just don't quite hear that. And then just a lesser example, you ever hear like, you ever see that clip? It's not about the nail. No. Okay. It's a very funny clip. And it's about how men are just always trying to fix things and never actually there to listen to their partner. Right. Um, oh, I think I do know. Okay, I'm sorry. Please go on. Yeah. It's fine. It's a very funny clip. I recommend anyone listening to Google it. It's very cute. Um, so the truth is that the research has shown that women are equally fixers. And and it's just, a, it, it really annoys me, frankly, that we think that women a lot of times women tend to think like, oh, I know about my emotions and I'm totally open to connection, but my spouse isn't. Mm-hmm. And the truth is women may be more emotional and they're emotionally reactive, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're, emo- I'm sorry, let me put it this way. Women emote more perhaps, but mm-hmm. they're not necessarily more emotionally attuned to themselves. And very often it's the male who needs to kind of tread carefully so that 
the reactive female doesn't go and react too strongly and the male's going to kind of be more attuned and in, in touch with his own emotions. Just it might be a little scary for him to open his mouth because he might get criticized the second he does. Very but interesting. Speaking, I'm concerned that I'm kind of giving women a bad rap and I don't mean to do that as at all. I just want to debunk some of the myths that are out there. So you, you think it, uh, when, when we hear about uh, progressives today and liberals talking about uh, the quote-unquote Republican war on women, that sort of thing, do you, do you, uh, do you have any thoughts on that? Um, can you give me an example? I haven't quite thought it. Well, um, I, I, there, there was just a, a talk, as long as we're going through YouTube clips, we'll keep, we can keep uh, going in that vein. Life lived through YouTube clips. Yes. Um, there, there was a, uh, an appearance, um, there was an appearance on the uh, Bill Maher uh, program uh, recently. Uh, one of the uh, actresses from who had been on Friends, uh, who played Phoebe, I'm blanking on her name right now. Lisa Kudrow. Lisa Kudrow, exactly. Um, so she, somebody, uh, a fellow member of the panel, uh, asked her uh, something referring to the Republican War on Women, and uh, her response was fantastic. She she sort of stopped. She sort of stopped cold, and she says, "A, a, a Republican." A war on women? The Repu- what? What are you talking about? <laughs> it was very funny, um, but it, that's become a trope in you know in a lot of the political discourse. Um, there are many people who would have you believe that there is this sort of a uh, you know a uh, a politically motivated or a politically centered um, imbalance in our society, mm-hmm. um, and, and it's talked about a lot. And I'm wondering if that uh, I'm wondering if you think that that uh, plays a role in in you know the emotional side and the psychological side and the family relationships and private relationships mm-hmm. yeah um something that's coming up for me as you were speaking i was just reading an article about how in the tech world women are leaving it even after being in it for decades because they find that it actually is one of the last places where it's in in the career world where it's really not a welcoming environment for women i read so that article about that but what i will say is um I think within the family system, sometimes we're kind of overcompensating and, you know, you see your average nice husband going, you know, going through his marriage and and sometimes he's kind of paying the price for the way society was a few decades back where it was harsher for women and women did have to fight to get equal rights. And I think sometimes women are just still fighting when like we could stop and be like, wait, what are we fighting for? We have it already. It, it's fine. We have the vote. We yeah. have, uh, you know, we, we work. Actually, there's going to still be places, you know, in, even on this Western side of the world where women don't have such opportunities in certain places, but just broad stroke. I think that it's, I think that we're, we're pretty much, you know, in a good spot and just personally, actually a funny story. I hope my husband doesn't mind me sharing this. <laughs> Um, I'm sure he won't, especially since it's too late right now. Um, so basically when, when I was building up my practice and my career at the same time, I was also building our family and, um, Mm -hmm. we have three beautiful children, Kanainahara. And then unfortunately I had some medical difficulties, which prevented me from having any more children. Mm -hmm. So at that point it kind of became clear, like, okay, I kind of have the green light to just keep going with this career and take it as far as I could take it. And I had this amazing husband who's wonderfully supportive and it just worked out that he was kind of shifting around within his career, also a therapist, as you mentioned, 
And at a certain point, it became a bit of a role reversal um, on certain days of the week, at least, or maybe like a certain week in the month, let's say if I'm doing a four day training or something where it used to be me home with the kids once they got off the bus and taking care of everything in the house and laundry and dishes and all that stuff. And he'd come home and I'm like kind of expecting him to like come home, maybe make me dinner now and not dump his stuff everywhere. Like, hello, I just tried to clean this place. Right. And um, he would hear from me, you obviously don't care about the home as much as I do, all this stuff. And then we switch roles. Nothing else changed, really. And all of a sudden, I find myself coming home from Connecticut or, or wherever I'm coming home from late at night. I come into a clean house. I dump my stuff everywhere. It's exhausted to put anything away. And what do I do? I sit down on the couch. I'm like, oh, I have so many emails to catch up on because I was just at this training. And he's like on the couch, like, hello, do I exist? All of a sudden, I caught myself and I turned to him and I'm like, I think it's official. I think we did a Freaky Friday switch here. And I was like, I am so sorry. Whenever I thought you didn't care about the house, I see you did. You just didn't care. You just couldn't. You just couldn't. And if you had the time, then you would have. So at least that personal anecdote makes me think like a lot of the stuff that we gender categorize, maybe it's just more of how we're socialized and just what our lives look like. It doesn't necessarily look like a gender difference. That's a great story. Uh, our guest is Aviva Rizal. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist in private practice in Cedarhurst. She's a certified emotionally focused couples therapist uh, who trains and supervises therapists, new therapists in New York and Connecticut. And most importantly, perhaps for this conversation, Aviva is also a weekly columnist in OU.org uh, who gets, uh, I could tell you, without getting into details, great numbers on the website. And uh, people enjoy your columns. And uh, you're often featured in uh, the Shabbat Shalom newsletter. Um, that uh, appears every Thursday afternoon, and uh, people can sign up for that at OU.org if they'd like. I certainly would encourage people to sign up at OU.org for the Shabbat Shalom newsletter and all the other stuff that we do. Um, I, uh, I love that story that you told, Aviva, about the, you know, as you put it, the Freaky Friday uh, role reversal. Boy, this is a this is a pop culture uh, heavy, uh, he- heavy program here today on the Nachum Siegel Network. Uh, people are tuning in for the OU Presents the Jewish Reaction, and they're getting that and plenty of pop culture, too. Um, by, by the way, the OU Presents the Jewish Reaction is heard every no, every Tuesday morning at 9, right after JM and the AM. And uh, thank you for listening, uh, for tuning in, whether you're listening now uh, as it's airing for the first time on OU on uh, com or on the uh, NSN app or on the listen lines or if you're listening on the archives. Thank you very much for tuning in. We certainly do appreciate it. Uh, we have a couple of minutes left, Aviva, and um, the uh, the fact of the matter is that uh, yeah, the, the the stats that that you talked about really uh, caught my attention. You were talking before about uh, batterers and about uh, about abusers and, and and how these things are really equal opportunity. The truth is, there are other um, there are other areas. Uh, uh, even of Jewish life, of Orthodox life, where people think that there are, um, you know, that, that there are wild imbalances among, you know, in terms of uh, inequities, in terms of, uh, you, know, uh, you know, things that turn out that are that are unfair to one gender or the other, uh, something that pops into mind, and we don't necessarily have to get into this. Uh, we keep hearing now about the Aguna crisis, and, and it is it is a real issue. Um, there are a couple of hundred women, certainly in North America, who are uh, chained to marriages they can't get out of because their husbands uh, have refused to give them a, a get, and they can't get on with their religious life, with their uh, with their uh, you know romantic uh, or you know new married lives, hopefully. Um, you know, but people keep reminding me, you know, that there are 
uh, there are definitely instances where a woman refuses to accept a get. And, and you know, it, it's even though we keep hearing about, you know, Aguna Aguna, and this is a real issue, as I said, there's no question about it. Um, a lot of people... Uh, it has completely escaped their attention that it is sometimes, you know, the other side of the uh, the flip side of the coin is true as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, somebody was just telling me a, a story about encountering. Uh, I'm not going to get into any details, of course, but okay. uh, somebody just told me a, a situation where they encountered an attorney um, who, who staged an event, uh, you know, putting somebody up uh, as, as a victim. And this person had firsthand knowledge. It just, you know, through whatever, you know, uh, bit of hashkacha uh, pratis or uh, or uh, other, uh, you know, they, they just happened to have firsthand knowledge of the fact that what the attorney was presenting as a victim was was actually the opposite. Yeah. Um, or, or you know, on the other hand, yesterday I was sitting in the other night I was sitting in uh, in a pizza store near my house uh, with my nine year old son, and a guy walked into the pizza store who uh, has been withholding a get for over fifteen years. Yeah. And uh, he was actually the subject of a YouTube clip where uh, Rabbi Jeremy Stern from o- Get Ora um, mm-hmm. threw him out of a minion at YU. And okay. the guy walks in, and I, 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 I really had the urge to say something. But, you know, it was a restaurant. People were eating with their families. The room was full of kids. I had my own nine-year-old with me. And I just said, this is not the appropriate, you know, so I just I just did not speak to him. I did not – I didn't really know how to handle it. But um, – but it was very, uh, it was very interesting, and I, I've really been thinking a lot about this. That there's a flip side, and so it's interesting to me that you uh, that you speak about this so forcefully, um, in terms of uh, in terms of not everything being as black and white as uh, as some people would uh, would have us believe. Um, mm-hmm. You you seem to have a certain amount of compassion for men uh, that that maybe not everybody does. Yes, definitely. And again, you just uh, succinctly and eloquently just. Put in a few words, my total mission, not everything is as black and white as it seems. And there's so much gray that we live in. And I think that the problem is that society has has trouble understanding gray. And we all do. Gray is very fuzzy. It's very hard to understand gray. And it's a lot easier to hang our hat on black and white. He's right. She's wrong or she's wrong and he's right. And that's just not how the world is. That's a very um, immature, developmentally speaking, an immature way of thinking. That's kind of how children think. And if we want to really develop, we have to open up our eyes to the gray because that's real life here. And we kind of have to make room to tolerate it. Absolutely. Um, You mentioned before... you mentioned before Talia Weinberg, uh, who does those wonderful illustrations that accompany your uh, your column each week on OU.org. And if people would like to learn more about uh, that, they can go to Talia, T-A-L-Y-A, Weinberg.com, uh, as she signs her cartoons each week. What's the process of coming up with those illustrations? Well, Talia's very talented, but um, she and I have a unique relationship. We uh, we started our antics way back in Stern College, actually in seminary in Methuselah Esther. So she and I work together mostly just to make an excuse to talk for half an hour a week. <laughs> we're really good college buddies. Um, basically, what happens is I tell her the issue, the reader, you know, the reader's issue that wrote in, and sometimes she actually receives some issues, and she'll tell me. What oh, she, really? Yeah. So now, now the columns are coming in through her, too. That's right. <laughs> Very interesting. And um, and usually she's going to just visualize a cartoon right there. She thinks in cartoons. She thinks in comics. That's just how her brain works. Mm-hmm. Every now and then she kind of gets a block and she's like, I don't know what to do here. And then I'll give her a suggestion, which is always like 
not perfect. And then she'll tweak it up and she'll just make it so cute and adorable the way that she does it. <laughs> and uh, the, the, the results uh, come in week after week after week and, uh, or, or, and appear on OU.org um, with your column. And uh, we really, uh, it, it's really a, a great additional feature to the column. It just uh, so succinctly uh, encapsulates uh, what it is that you're writing about. And it's a, yeah. they're a lot of fun. I feel like my column is just extraneous. Like, just look at the picture. You'll get the whole deal. Just look. <laughs> In case you're using too many big words for some people, it'll help. And just to, just to close off, uh, one. Uh, let's talk about uh, one particular issue that's... Uh, that's uh, affecting uh, the Orthodox community, and that is uh, people like to talk about the quote-unquote shidduch crisis. Um, so one question uh, that you answered more than a year ago, I'll, I'll just read it to you, and let's just talk about, uh, you can tell me what you would say now. Maybe it's different from what you said then, but uh, mm-hmm. Dear Aviva, I have a question for you. Our daughter is 24, lives at home with us. She's dating, but not so frequently. Thankfully, she's not too isolated. She still has some of her old friends who are not married. Plus, she made, she's made some new friends in the past couple of years. She's just finished her master's, is looking for work, we paid for her schooling and are paying for all of her expenses. My question is, is there anything we can do to help her get settled? She doesn't want to move out, and she doesn't really want her. We don't really want her to either, but we aren't sure if we are keeping her from taking the next step in her life. Signs still in this single stage. Um, so you could, you might even remember the question. You might want to talk about what you said at the time. Is there a point at which a, um, a, a single child, uh, even in a from family, mm-hmm. um, even a girl in a from family, ought to move out? I believe there is a time. Um, I think that it's a fine balance where we do have to maintain the family ties and the attachment because, as we said before, like nobody should be alone in this world. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we also kind of have to go and take risks and launch a little bit and really find ourselves. So many times within the from world, we may fall prey to just kind of going with what our family does or and not individualizing enough. And I think that there needs to be, I think each person needs to be able to do that on their own. I always think of Yitzchak Avinu whenever I, I hear about this situation because Avraham was the first Baal Tshuva, right? He right. found the Torah, and well, not the Torah, he found Hashem himself. And um, Yitzchak easily could have just ridden on his coattails, but there's, I forgot where it's from, but I remember hearing a long time ago that, Oh, this is where, how we could learn from it. Um, because Abraham was the Midah of Chesed and mm-hmm. Yitzhak was not. He was the Midah of Gevura. And he so easily could have just followed along with Abraham, continued with the Chesed. He had the best role model to do so. And he would have continued on with that way. And that would have been Torah too. That would have been Yiddishkeit. But he didn't. He found himself and his ways was Gevura. And that's how he brought the Torah down. That's how he brought the Dvikas with Hashem down. So I think that's important for all of us, not just with our relationships with Hashem, but with our relationships within ourselves to find out who we really are and then to to go and, and tackle life and tackle the world. Thank you very much. Very nice. Aviva Rizel is our guest. She's a licensed uh, marriage and family therapist in private practice in Cedarhurst, a weekly columnist in OU.org. Look for her columns there, as well as in the uh, Shabbat Shalom email that comes out every uh, Thursday from the OU. You could sign up for it at OU.org. Aviva, thank you very much. 
Thank you so much, Mayor. A pleasure. Thank you to Aviva. Thank you to our earlier guests, Jake Adler, the New York State Policy Director for OU Advocacy and Teach NYS, and for, to Ellie Leibowitz, uh, Communications Associate at the OU and a stand-up comedian. Thank you to them, and thank you to you. Thanks for listening. I certainly appreciate it. I hope Ellie Hagler will be back next week. You've been listening to the OU Presents the Jewish Reaction on the Nahum Siegel Network. My name is Mayor Fertig, and uh, again, I do thank you for tuning in. And uh, stay tuned uh, to the Nahum Siegel Network all day long. Up next, Mark Zomick with the Album of the Week. Take care, everybody. <laughs>